Welcome to Season 3 of Cult and Culpability. I'm T.A. Newman, your host and keeper. In a moment, we'll rejoin the Prido family. But first, a reminder that Chaosium's tabletop role-playing game Call of Cthulhu contains mature themes including cosmic horror, character death and loss of sanity. If you'd like to become a friend of the Playhouse, then please support us on Coffee. That's ko-fi.com forward slash Miskatonic Playhouse, where you can gain access to exclusive shows and content for as little as one pound. And now it's time to pull back the curtain and roll the dice. Lord Cosgrove, you're standing on the beach. You are now at the foot of the wreck of the HMS Devonshire, side by side with Lord Hawthorne. And you can now see the individuals, these silhouettes surrounding this boat. You can see them the same as they were from the rabbit's ball, these scaled, hideous creatures with yellow eyes on the sides of their heads, skin across their skull, split open, skull removed, and these rods, these metal rods, driven into their brain at these these weird angles, sticking up like some kind of horrific, uh, metallic shard of a crown. Before you is this wonderful, wonderful red glow. Lord Cosgrove, which glows from inside the wreck of this ship. Hawthorne stands beside you, just looking in, looking at this glow, a smile creeping on his face. What do you do, Cosgrove? You have been, I think, somewhat less than forthcoming with the details of your plan. Hawthorne, as, as marvellous as all this is, and I, I, I'm, I'm sure this is leading towards some great windfall for us all, I, I am still somewhat perplexed as to the meaning of all this. The meaning of all this, Cosgrove, is change change from society's demands. This ladder we climb, we sit at the top, we dance the social dance. I'm not adverse to it, but I find it beneath me. I am better. There are are those of us in society who are better. Not just better than those who work in towns and do our bidding, but better than everyone. Cosgrove. We are better by right, by blood, and by birth. Yes, yes, you'll you'll get no argument from me about any of that, but you you are being, uh, I think, unnecessarily gnomic in your utterances. (laughs) I, uh, I am a man of practicalities of action, and you have clearly taken great action here today with the raising of this ship and uh, these strange 
new friends you've made, uh, but where is all of this heading, Hawthorne? What is my role in this? If I am to, to help bring this plan to fruition, I need to understand it. It, 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 it is at best frustrating to be here on the periphery of all this. You are a man of pragmatism, Cosgrove. Come, come with me. I'll show you and then I will explain to you the cost of your ticket to salvation. Marvelous. You see, you called these things my friends, but they are not. They are nothing but creatures. Hawthorne walks up to one of these marrows, one of these scaled fish creatures, and he just backhands it as hard as he can. They are disgusting, base creatures. They are worse than what we see in the streets. But yes. we are going to be something new. Come, come, come with me. And he climbs up on the ship. You can see uh, Lady Hawthorne is trailing behind, keeping a bit of a distance. Uh, you can see that Dunn is there, um, Lady Dunn is there. But apart from that, and they, they seem to be gathering at the front of the ship, but he's leading you up onto the deck of the ship. He even it reaches out a hand to pull you up onto the deck, Cosgrove. Okay, which I will reluctantly take because I am not the most dexterous of men. Can you give me a... Yeah, let's have a dexterity roll, please, Cosgrove. <laughs> Do you know, Cosgrove, the roll isn't about hmm. how dexterous you are. Can you let me know what it is that you rolled? I rolled an 82 over 50. The roll is recognising how strong and how dexterous Hawthorne is. You take his hand, he takes yes. your arm and he almost half pulls you, half launches you up onto the deck of the ship. And you land with unsteady feet, slipping and sliding, but he holds you up. Cosgrove, yes. when you pay the price and you join what I shall refer to as the Shallow Ones, you'll find that life is so much sweeter. Come, come with me. And he walks you towards, the, past the, the broken mast. He walks you around a certain path where there's a few uh, breaks in the, in the deck. And you can see that he kind of twists and turns, but leads you very clearly to the captain's quarters. These large doors, uh, wooden doors, with the HMS Devonshire over the top. And you can see that this is where the red glow is, is, is pulsing from. There's a few holes and cracks in the doors and the wood where the, the red glow has been pulsing from. And he pulls you through these doors. He stands outside. Open the door, Cosgrove. Before I do, Hawthorne, old man, you keep mentioning a price. <laughs> Before I take any irrevocable action, I would consider it a kindness if you were to let me know what this price is. Pragmatism to the very end, Cosgrove. The price into our exclusive club, this religion, belief, worship that we have built over these last, well, over the last century, 
is your faith? Let's call it a baptism. I would like you to be baptized. And in return for this, let us discuss the terms of the contract here, because the terms so far have been, I, I think if this were a legal agreement, any lawyer would describe them as being insufferably vague. <laughs> Let's balance a little bit of that legal talk with a little bit of faith, shall we, Cosgrove? I will say that if you willingly baptize or become baptized within the church, at the heart of the sea chapel, you give yourself and you become a shallow one and you know that I can use you, you know I want you to be one of us, then you, Cosgrove, you will be as strong as I am. You will live as long as I have. You will be able to see as I see, which is beyond the veil of the mere society that we all think we are trapped in and play games in, Cosgrove. They are puppets to us. You already treat people like puppets. This will allow them to become actual pawns in your game, Cosgrove. This is where the power is. This is where the new world order is. This is where the future of the Empire is. It's with us. The shallow ones, embedded within society's hierarchies across the globe. Yes, that does sound quite marvellous, but I am also, I suppose, having been on the other side of arrangements such as this, I am somewhat aware of the fact that for every character there is a stick. Hmm. And you are offering me great wonders here, and, and do not think me ungrateful. They, what you're offering is, I suppose, more than I could possibly have ever dreamt of. But at the same time, I do wonder what would happen if I were to say no. An interesting proposal, Cosgrove. I wonder... What would happen to someone who said no to me? Hmm. Very interesting. Maybe we'll find out. Maybe we won't. But, as a show of good faith, Cosgrove, I am going to show you how you'll be baptized. And then, I'm going to ask you to do a small favour for me. And what might that be? Simply, get the reverend for me. We can't have a baptism without a reverend, can we? Oh, that sounds trivial enough. There's two in the town. I don't really mind which one. They're both as useful as each other. But, as I said, Cosgrove... I can't open the door for you. If this is something you'd like to explore, you have to be the one to turn the handle. So to be clear, would you want me to procure you a reverend before my baptism, or 
following it. Procurement before. The Reverend would need to perform the baptism. Uh, I understand, I understand. Very well. Yes, that will give me time to consider your um, marvellous offer. Yes, I, I shall go and find us a man of the cloth. Cosgrove, the door. With a sigh, and no small amount of trepidation, I shall open the door. Hawthorne doesn't move. He watches you. He just watches every muscle, every bead of sweat, every hair follicle that blows in the sea breeze. And as you open the door before you and you see into this darkened cabin quarters that seems to be emptied of everything except for this gigantic, large, red gelatinous egg. But you can see in this darkened room, you can see the silhouette, the blurred, murky silhouette of a figure within. You can see it moves within, almost turns and twists within, stretching the red gelatinous substance on the outside. And Hawthorne just leans in really close. And you only realize he's there when he whispers in your ear. And he says, Cosgrove, I don't mean for us to be the leaders of the town. I mean for us to be gods. Back at Prideau Manor, <laughs> we have Thomas, we have Charlotte, we have the Reverend. I believe you went upstairs to your room to get some rest and you ended up ripping apart one of the rooms in search of something in a fury and a frenzy after the rabbit's ball, recognising the, the names and the layouts of the rooms. I think we'll... Thomas and Charlotte, would you have gone to sleep? Or would you still be up in the study, talking out, sharing everything that's happened between you? From the conversation that Thomas and Charlotte have just had, Thomas opening up and expressing his his concerns about his sister, um, I think Thomas is probably a little embarrassed once regaining his, not quite his senses, but this is not the... This is not the way that one does things in society. One is stoic. One keeps a stiff upper lip. Um, we'll probably make apologies and turn in for the night. Charlotte probably tries to go to sleep, but there's just so much has happened that she just can't. So I think she gets up and lights some candles and uh, starts having a look at that dress, that lovely sea blue dress, which is now horribly, horribly bloodstained. And she gets out her sewing box and tries to cut off the worst of it, the hem, which is absolutely drenched and probably now clotting as well. And then she starts sort of playing around a bit with bits of fabric and wondering if she can add some kind of, I don't know, overskirt or frill or something just to try and salvage it. Her, her mind's not really in it. She's just trying to not think about what happened. Can you give evening. me a um, just a spot hidden then, please, is just looking at the dress and the alternatives. Okay. Oh, wow. Extreme success of three against 44. Wow. Okay. You're looking at the dress. You can see every unfortunate 
blemish on this beautiful, beautiful piece of work. Um, and before you manage to get to, to looking for the alternatives, you're looking at the dress and you actually look at your um, accompanying little clutch, the little bag. And you can see poking out the corner, there's a little bit of paper and you're reminded that in that bag, it's your story, Charlotte. It's your story, the story that you always wanted to write, but you have written, but you haven't read it. Mm -hmm. With your extreme success, Charlotte, not only do you see the paper sticking out of the bag, but you see a shadow on the floor. The shadow stretching out from the window behind you. The silhouette of a man. Well, there's only one man who would turn up at her window at night. And she turns around and she runs towards the window. Philippe? Philippe, is that you? My dear Charlotte, what did happen? What did happen again? Oh, I was so afraid I lost you, but once again you're here. Oh, you won't lose me, Philippe. And uh, tell me I won't lose you either. I, I, I couldn't, not again. It would be too much. Charlotte, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that, that I'm fading away. I wake Ooh. up every time in a new place. And then I disappear again. You I can't. don't want to lose you, Charlotte, but I fear. I fear that you're not taking the right decisions. Oh. I fear that you're not facing reality. Uh, you, you can't go. You, where would you even go? I, I, I don't pretend to understand how any of this works. But I, I thought you, you said you I, I'm a dumb. Charlotte? Yes, of course. She opens the windows wide. Thank you, Charlotte. I climb inside and I make my way to the dress. Is is that your blood, Charlotte? Oh, it's not mine. It's it's everyone's. Don't it, don't you remember? Is it the blood of of your enemies? I didn't even know these people. Most of them. But they didn't like you, did they? They liked me well enough when I was wearing this. They wouldn't have liked me if they'd have known everything else about me. What do you mean, Charlotte? They wouldn't have liked me if, if, if they'd known that I ran away with you. And that I was widowed and that I came back and I had to, I had to work. I had to get a job as a lady's companion. I, I had to be a... Almost a servant. Charlotte, my dear Charlotte. It's it's gonna be over soon. Your new place, your rightful place. You deserve better. You deserve the world, my dear. And I'm gonna do everything I can for you. For you, my dear. But you need but you need to help me out. Of course I will. Whatever I have, it it won't mean anything unless you're there too. Everything is foggy. I uh, I think I'm losing I'm losing my mind, Charlotte. Please, please help me out. Explain to me. You're done, right? Apparently so. I think it was my grandmother. She she married a long time ago, apparently, and and she married a Don. That's all I know. Emily, Emily Dunn, the daughter, she told me about it when we were dancing. 
It's in your blood. It is your right, Charlotte. And don't let anyone deny you your rights. This is your lineage and you need to respect it. You need to cherish it. You need to embrace it. I will. I'm going to. I love you, Charlotte. I love you so much. I love you, Philippe. You're full of life. You're full of flames of fire. And I can't wait for everything to burn around you. What? What is this? Is it your writing again? Yes. Yes, I I, I am. I'm writing, although... Will you, I don't remember will you read doing it to me, it. please? Of course, before, of course I will. Oh, sit down. I, I'm sitting down next to next to the fireplace, and I'm waiting with glowing eyes. <laughs> it's gonna be. It's gonna be like before. I'm waiting. And she takes the piece of paper out of her very slightly blood-stained little silk reticule and she reads aloud how do i become more like you jonas asked sure of his desire to be like his reflection to live in paradise you must sacrifice the reflection said still looking into the mirror and back into the real world to see the world the way i see it open your eyes don't flinch commit the reflection turned its longing gaze away from the mirror and its red eyes now nothing but a sea of red fell upon jonas your eyes waves of madness and tides of joy yours to command like a child with a toy the reflection's eyes rippled with his words it brought its hands up to jonas's face and placed them either side The coldness in the reflection's touch had gone. Jonas now felt cold and sensed the growing warmth in the touch of his better form. Give yourself to me. Only then do you see. Close your eyes and use your mind. Your future self is there to find. Charlotte, could you... Roll me an intelligence roll, please. I can indeed. Oh, she is on fire tonight. That was a hard success of 15 against 45. You read these words, these words that you have written. This is your story. And you see there's more. You see there's a there's there's another eight or so pages just that you, you've written. It's your handwriting, but you don't know what's there. But... What you just read. There was a phrase there. Didn't Thomas say something about this? Waves of madness and tides of joy. Waves of madness. Wasn't Thomas talking about that? A book he'd read? I'm afraid that's as much as I can give you. Okay. And Charlotte casts her mind back and and tries to think about the conversation that she'd had with Thomas earlier. Waves of madness and tides of joy. Philippe, have you heard that before? It 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 seems so familiar. I'm I'm sure that Thomas said it, although it doesn't sound like something he would say. It must have been a quote. 
A quote, you say? Yes, it, it, it must have been from a book. It sticks in my head somehow, and I, I, I can't quite seem to put my finger on it. Well, I don't know if it's a quote or if it is yours, but I like it. I really like it. It's good, isn't it? Yes, my dear. I think this is some of the best I've ever written. Charlotte, some of the best. Can you give me a power roll, please? Ah, uh, in accordance with the prophecy, I shall fail it. Ah, no, I haven't for once. Ah, That's a normal success of th- 46 against then 55. Rather than feeling this, this, this pull, this uh, d- almost compulsion to continue to read, you can, if you want to, put down the papers. You're welcome to carry on reading, but you don't, you feel that pull, you feel that urge. As soon as Philippe talks about this being the best writing and you feeling so successful, you have the next page in your hand, but the choice is yours. Is there, Shall I? Is there any more? Yes, there, there, there are a few more pages. Would you like to hear more? Well, I can't wait to, to hear the ending. <laughs> I'm not even certain what the ending is. Well, then we shall discover it. Let's find out. And she does decide to read on. Okay. Jonas closed his eyes and let his reflection pull him closer. The reflection of Jonas seemed more real with each passing moment that they touched. His hands, gentle and kind, caressed Jonas and the reflection leaned in as if it were to kiss him on the lips, a mere shred of light separating their embrace. The red in the eyes of the reflection bubbled, boiled, and then drained from sight. From the reflection's mouth, a red mist danced over Jonas's lips and into his mouth. The crimson mist escaped one vessel and entered its mirrored double, and as it did... The caressing fingers of the reflection began to dig a little deeper into the face of Jonas, the thumbs slipping to the eyes and pushing. Jonas, now helpless to defend himself from himself, heard the voice of his reflection in his head. You are me, and I am you. Whatever are we going to do? Ooh, this is getting steamy. Exciting. So exciting. Isn't it? Scandalous, even. Reverend, <laughs> can you give me a luck roll, please? What is the Reverend doing with all this? Oh, no. <laughs> the Reverend uh, has a failure of 49 versus 44. <laughs> nearly, but not quite. Unfortunately, Reverend, you walk past Miss Lambert's room at the exact time she says, well, this is starting to get steamy, quite scandalous, as if she's talking to someone. <laughs> but that's all you can hear, Reverend, as you walk past uh, the corridor. I'll leave the rest to you. As if my reputation could afford any more stains on it. The Reverend pauses briefly. He's not quite sure what to make of it, but he's in no fit state. He uh, looks at himself. He's a bit rather dishevelled, and he just notes, possibly to mention Charlotte's choice of fiction, perhaps in the morning at an opportune moment, but um, wouldn't want servants hearing what she is reading aloud. Uh, Might give them the wrong idea. 
and he will he'll head up to his room, but he will take a quick quick wander past his telescope, if that's possible. Absolutely, of course. So um, it's a, a, a very easy turn down a few corridors, and you find yourself in the observatory. Mm. He calms himself and gathers himself together. He probably looks at his grazed hands as he's remembering the anger that he felt and that sign that he sees as he looks down upon his hands, sees the, sees the mark that has been made. And then he pauses and just looks out to the sea and looks up to the sky trying to re-establish himself because when he was back at the manor it didn't seem quite right the sky wasn't quite as how it should be so um yes he will try and observe and relax you turn the telescope one way and another and reverend it's a disturbing sight. When you look at Kingscombe, you see that the town is bathed. There is this mist, this red mist that sits upon the town. You saw it on your way back from Dun Hall, but to actually now look down at the town, past the river, slightly removed, looking to the town as if it's a separate entity, you can see this mist coiling around buildings and just swarming through. You see people walking amongst it, you see people moving among, but having seen what you have seen, having witnessed what you have witnessed, it's a frightful sight. Nearly as frightful as when you turn your telescope towards the sea, you catch the ship on the beach, the shipwreck on the beach. You once looked at this. You once saw some coordinates carved into the beam above you, Ooh. and you looked at this exact spot. You look at the coordinates, you look at the telescope, pointed at that spot, and you recognize that is exactly where you are trained right now. You are looking at this spot. Those coordinates were carved there. When you first arrived here, someone knew that that spot was important. Someone who has been here, someone who doesn't appear to be here anymore. Possibly Lord Matthew Prado. Although somewhere deep down, the Reverend kind of hopes it might have been his brother. And at some point, he's going to appear and make sense of it all. But he looks and at the red mist and thinks of the Bible and wonders whether this is what it was like as the angel of death passed through Egypt the final plague. Is he facing the final plague? Is he going to lead the people of Kingscombe out? Or is he going to be struck down by the plague himself? With these very dark prophetic uh, thoughts and reminiscence, there is a knock on the door for the observatory. <laughs> He'll slightly jump. Oh. Uh, who, who is it? Oh, it's me, sir. It's, it's Harris. Oh, goodness, Harris, are you still up? And he'll actually go over to the door and open open the door. Is everything all right, Harris? I, I, I didn't mean to uh, uh, be so harsh on you, you, you earlier. I know you do a bang-up job. Uh, um, what, what, what can I do, do for you? I mean, you really must get some rest. 
very good. Thank you, sir. Muchly appreciated. Um, uh, the reverend knocked for you, sir. Um, said a matter of urgency that that he would need to see you um, upon the morrow. Asked whether you would meet here or, or whether you would meet at the church. And is, is, is he still here? Uh, no, um, sir. Said he, he had to... Well, excuse me, sir. It sounded quite uh, um, unusual. Said he had to, to hide for the night. <laughs> uh, yes, Harris. Something rather sad happened. At the uh, Rapids Ball. I, I, I don't wish to uh, inform you now, but uh, everything got quite out of hand. And I need you to do me a favor and uh, make sure our staff are well looked after. If scenes of uh, what happened at Dun Manor tonight were to repeat themselves here, well, we might just have to break out those pole arms that I uh, mentioned earlier, oh. but uh, I, I don't wish to worry you. Uh, I have everything under control. Did, did the Reverend say how I was to get word to him, where where, where to meet? Um, I, I said that I would have um, word sent, sir. Oh, well, well if you wouldn't mind, uh, you, you don't, don't send it yourself. You must get some, maybe send the night porter or the night porter's assistant and, and just let him know I shall, I shall be um, over to the church first thing uh, in the morning if... Uh, very good, sir. Thank you very much. And, and Harris. Yes, sir. It's good, it's good to see you. You, you look after yourself and uh, get yourself to bed. I, um, I'll be retiring shortly soon. Very good, sir. And uh, you hear Harris uh, slowly... Uh, make his way uh, back into the kind of the main main Prado Manor, and um, presumably passes on the message that you will go to the church in the morning. Thomas, is there anything you do this evening before retiring? Thomas finds some comfort in the bottle of a bottle of brandy that uh, has been uh, sitting by the side of the bed, and while drowning his sorrows, he flips absent-mindedly through Matthew Prado's journal. Oh, okay. And I imagine you're... Don't spill anything. <laughs> Roll for dexterity. No! <laughs> and I imagine you pick up where the Reverend left off. 19th of March, 1709. A town reborn. When we returned to the town of Kingscombe, there was an uneasy welcome. The townspeople quite rightly could not understand where we had been and we created a fabrication to hide the truth from their rightfully suspicious minds. We took turns keeping our eye on our newly appointed charge, whilst the others searched for a safe place to hide the egg. But it wasn't long before we found a cave beneath the Kingscombe shoreline, and realised we had the beginnings of a home for this creature's slumber. With each of us survivors returning to our family manners, it wasn't long before we were able to use the knowledge bestowed upon us by the Great Mother. We found that Elias wanted to connect our manners in some way to maintain a sense of privacy in our endeavours. It was not long before he presented his plan in the form of one of these merish chirashogoths that had come to terminate the egg. But upon touching it, it seemed bewitched by it, willing to protect it rather than harm it. 25th of August, 
the year of our Lord 1709, a patient hand. After a few months and the use of our new knowledge, Elias shows how we can link the underwater tunnels from each of our family lakes to connect with the underground void where the egg was now kept, which in turn links to the ocean. It was in the abuse of the connection between Marrow and the slumbering creature that Elias found a new line of manipulation and instructed Jonathan to be relentless in his experimentation. Elias surmised the connection was from mind to mind, as no word was ever spoken, yet there was a communication. Jonathan reported that he altered the mind of the marrow with surgery, as it lay in a stupor after contact with the egg of the sleeping creature. It was a happy coincidence that these marrow creatures were hardy in their immortal state, as it took months of surgery to allow it to directly control the marrow. The lobotomy Jonathan conducted forced the marrow into a submissive state, but it only began to act on our orders if we had recently touched the red gelatinous egg. Our studies began to show that the egg's unnatural properties gifted the surrounding waters with bountiful boons, resulting in huge schools of fish, curative properties for small ailments and illnesses, as well as further reward for Elias, Jonathan and myself. We were able to continue using our ability to breathe underwater, swim faster than we could run, and most impressively, age imperceivably. You do remember seeing something quite remarkable in the sky earlier this evening. In regards to a certain red orb passing through red mist and being deposited in a wreck upon the shoreline. But surely there are some secrets still left in these remarkable tunnels that connect the lakes and the manors. Thomas, can you give me a constitution roll to let me know how you're handling your alcohol? I can do. Two seconds, sorry. And the only reason there's no sanity roll here is because you have personally experienced a lot of this firsthand. And can I check whether... Thomas is still under the penalty from withdrawal from the red jelly. And can I ask for a power roll, please? You can indeed. So with the power, that is a success. Just 44 under 45. So you feel a, a shudder, but it's almost one of it's almost a dispelling shudder. You feel this ripple down your spine as you read this, especially those words. The eggs are natural properties. You feel that cold shiver but it almost feels as if it goes you think you feel and your strength returns to you your constitution appears to be what it once was always affected by the alcohol but not so much by this unfortunate addiction you have felt for the last few days. What was your constitution roll? I will make the constitution roll now. Uh, that is a failure. This is a 68 over 50. Then Could have been worse. It's not too long before you find yourself drifting into a sleep where you half remember and dream upon what you have read here. But in your dream, and Miss Lambert, in your dream, and Reverend, in your dream, 
you all hear the screams of Anastasia calling for help. Cosgrove, standing inside the captain's quarters looking at this red egg, I'm going to ask you for a spot hidden, please. Of course. That is a hard success, 22 under 67. Then, Cosgrove, you can see the red pulsing in this uh, captain's quarters, uh, almost almost illuminating momentarily this room in this low-level light. And you can see that it gives Hawthorne this devilish visage as he smiles at your ear's edge, having whispered momentarily, we could be gods. But your eyes flick back to the egg. You see this thing moving within, but in that glow, this pulsing glow, you see a few things. And with your hard success, you see a few, few things. You see on the far side of the egg that there is a stone uh, bench, rather large. No, not bench, chair. It's like a stone chair carved almost. It seems to have symbols carved into it. It's, it's It's a rather large stone chair at the other end. The egg itself seems to be sitting in this this rather bizarre metallic uh, oversized bowl of, of, of some sort. It seems rather unique that this egg should be in a bowl. But either side of the egg you now see standing in exactly the same manner each with their right hand touching, just touching the membrane of this gelatinous red egg, are two women, eyes open but rolled back in their head. You recognize them. You recognize them because you know Thomas. And by knowing Thomas, and knowing his debts, and knowing his father, Adam, who once upon a time paid his debts, you know the family because it's your business, you make it your business. That's Anastasia Prido, standing, stock still, hand out, touching the membrane of the egg. And on the other side, isn't that Dunn's daughter? Didn't you see her tonight? Standing in the exact same way, staring at the egg but eyes rolled back almost white eyes staring at this red egg the whites of their eyes illuminating in this glow hmm uh, hawthorne old man uh, i'm still obviously trying to understand who precisely is involved with this plan of yours but Obviously, the more information I have, the better, because the better then I can make use of said information. And at the moment, it does seem to be a bit of a surprise to see a Prido here. Uh, Are they a part of your little organization? Yes, but not in the way you think, Cosgrove. There was, as I mentioned, on that ship, on this ship, many, 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 many moons ago, well, a Prudo, along with myself and along with Dunn. But that Prudo, that Prudo, 
began to lose sight of our goal, began to lose sight of what we have within our hands. We were so close, Cosgrove. This isn't the first time I've tried this ritual. This isn't the first time I have, I have tried this ritual. I have sacrificed. I have sacrificed. Four times we've attempted this. But this time, this time, we can't fail. This time, it's coming together. We have the throne, we have the ship, we have the birth. We have the three families. We're all here, we're all a part of it now. No one can escape, no one can leave Cosgrove. This time it's going to work. Each time, each ritual, it has given done and I the power that we've needed to bring this to fruition. A power that we intend for you, Cosgrove, to inhabit, should you undergo your baptism. There's no point in lying to you now and keeping secrets, Cosgrove. You're one of us, and if you're not one of us, then... Well, I guess you're not one of us. But, Cosgrove, the world is a very big place. I can't control the whole thing. I need people out there helping me tilt it in the right direction. What we do here, what we do now, is we begin afresh. We create a new hierarchy. Above royals, above the ton, we create the shallow ones. We need the three bloodlines, the three that took the egg. That is the Hawthorns, that is the Duns, that is the Pridos. Sacrifices must be made, Cosgrove. Some may survive. I fully intended. Some may not. Understood. When I say I have sacrificed, Cosgrove, do not take that lightly. I have given over four sons to these rituals. Four of my Tobiases. Each one giving themselves willingly. But we haven't got the ritual right. We are still dependent on the egg. We are still dependent on its gifts. If we do this ritual right, Cosgrove, if we get it right, we won't be dependent on it. It will infuse us. We will be dependent on nothing, on no one. But Cosgrove, mm. a baptism, a baptism, a show of faith. I have divulged as much as I can, dear friend. Yes, yes, I I believe I do understand now, and, uh, yes, I shall procure us a, a clergyman. Come, outside, outside. He walks you out of the uh, captain's quarters, and he closes the door behind. Walks you down to the beach, 
lifts you down off the boat and almost puts you on the sand and then he jumps down by the side of you where you see uh, a few other people are off just you know, a few meters away um, talking Cosgrove get me a reverend bring them here we'll conduct your baptism but I don't send you out in this world unarmed you're one of us now nearly let me give you something to help persuade the Reverend. Jenkins! <laughs> From the group talking, you see this rather tall individual just kind of turn round and smile this large, hideous grin. You see this slight red hint in these eyes. And this large, loping individual who seems rather physically imposing walks over uh, he makes your previous um should we say muscle um <laughs> look a bit delicate hawthorne just looks to this gentleman he calls jenkins and says jenkins this is lord cosgrove you will treat him as you would treat me do you understand yes my lord but when will I have my- At silence, Jenkins, for shame. Do as Cosgrove says, and you may speak to me later when I see fit. Cosgrove, can you give me a psychology roll, please? I want, I've really, Jenkins is looking at you, and I want you looking, or, or I don't want you, but you being in this area, being in this vicinity, I want you to see if you can sense what's going on. I think that Cosgrove is a little overwhelmed by everything that's going on anyway. And that the, his mind is just ticking over possibilities and different possible outcomes to various actions to the extent where he is completely oblivious to the social dynamic that's going on here. So, yeah, I've rolled a 57 over 42. Okay. You can't quite work out. You can see that Jenkins is full of rage, full of fury. But you can't see whether it's aimed at Hawthorne for speaking to him in such a way mm. or whether it's aimed at you because Hawthorne has chosen you to tell Jenkins what to do. Is it the injustice or is it the slight against his name? You can't tell, but you can see very clearly he is not a happy chappy. <laughs> oh, I may be able to use that to my advantage later. Hawthorne uh, waves you goodbye. Good luck, Cosgrove. I'm looking forward to the baptism. Yes, as am I. As am I. I ask Cosgrove, do you have a particular plan? You have this uh, okay. large gentleman. Where would you like to go? I believe it's about time I caught up with my good friend the Priddos. Excellent. So you're on your way with the Jenkins in tow on the way to Priddo House. Indeed. As night hits its fullest and the Priddos slumber peacefully in their beds. Not for long. <laughs>
can I have Charlotte, Thomas, Reverend, and Philippe? Can I have you all give me a power roll, please? Thomas, surprisingly, got a 14 under 45, a hard success. Oh, interesting. A reverend? The reverend is not feeling it. He is uh, failing his power roll. Uh, 78 versus 60. And Charlotte? Unfortunately, I'm back to my old self with 59 <laughs> against 55. Twas ever thus. Monsieur Philippe? Um, on my part, it would be a hard success. Oh. So reverend... Charlotte. I can protect Charlotte from anything. I will. You sleep soundly. It sounds uh, terrible, but after the exhausting events, mentally and physically, the confusion, the 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 emotion, you've almost just hit a point of fatigue, and you are out in your beds. Thomas, you drank your way to sleep. You fell asleep into a journal that you were reading. And it's so bizarre because you can hear a voice. It's almost talking near you. It's almost talking at you. Philippe, you find yourself in a room where you thought you were with your beloved. But apparently there seems to be some drunk gentleman lying on the bed and Charlotte has disappeared. I know you. Someone in my room leaving trying to sleep. What blazes do you think you're trying to do? Are you a servant or something? Um, are you a drunkard? Or something? What are you doing in my house? <laughs> oh, oh, you're a Frenchman. Oh, God. Oh, Oh, I thought we'd at the last of you when Charlotte's husband went, but... Oh. You know Charlotte? Charlotte, Miss Lambert to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> my cousin. Oh, so you must be the awful Thomas Prudeau. <laughs> and with that, Thomas sits bolt upright. Oh, who are you calling an oaf? You over... And looks. Can I see anything? Yeah, in fact, uh, you're both welcome to give me a spot hidden, please. Thomas, bleary-eyed, still sleep in his eyes, uh, got an 87 over 50. Can't see anything. Can't see the wood for the trees. I can see something. It is a normal success. So, Thomas jumping out of bed, bleary-eyed, bit of a slur, jumps almost to, to, to confront Philippe. But Philippe, this moment where he jumps and you look around the room that you're in, it's not your room it's not charlotte's room it's not even a room as such it's more of just a void a black wallless void but there is someone else there there's someone else standing in a dress with their hands over their face covering their eyes and their mouth standing just off to the side charlotte Charlotte, is that you? Thomas, you can see you can see her as well. Right? Keeper, can I see 
Philippe and the lady in the dress. Now that Philippe has pointed out or drawn your attention, and you can see the change in Philippe rather than this confrontational, uh, um, shall we say, uh, regional dispute, uh, you can see this lady standing, hands over her face. Thomas is in a state of shock here. He's being directed to look at someone by another person who he knows to be dead. And, and I think Thomas's initial reaction is, is, to, is to, to look at Philippe, wide-eyed, open-mouthed. And, but, but you're... you can't be. How the... you're... you're dead. What are you doing here? How? How? Thomas, do I look dead to you? Well, you look... Alive, alive, that's the word you're looking for. I... yes. Great. This is... you... I mean... did... did... did Charlotte lie? Did you... did you not die? Things are changing, Thomas. Good heavens. Things are changing. And soon enough you will discover that Charlotte has so much to offer to the world. Oh, you... I forgot you were a poet, weren't you? Can I ask? Well, I have eyes that can see the real world. The world that you refuse to see, Thomas. As you've been... As Philippe has pointed, Thomas, uh, to this woman standing there in this dress, he's helped you see. Now, Philippe, you see this. Thomas, even though you're having this continued, um, should we say, uh, verbal chess with Philippe, perhaps this uh, verbal uh, fencing here, you see that this woman is standing there with dark hair, wet, the dress dripping. But you see it's dripping because as it drips to the floor, it doesn't just patter onto a solid floor. It drips into water. And as you both look at the ground that you are standing on, it doesn't exist. You are standing on the surface of a body of water. You hear the drips echoing into the void. Okay. So we're not in my chamber anymore. Do you recognize this place, Philippe? I... I feel like I've been attracted lately to lakes and water and the sea. I know that feeling. This is not, however, a lake I have the pleasure of being acquainted with. Charlotte, <laughs> if... is that you, darling? It's not Charlotte. There's no response. You begin to hear tears, and as you ask if it's Charlotte, the woman without moving her feet, spins very slowly, just gently pivots on the spot, her dress still dripping, and then she begins to move very slowly away from you, her feet dangling, just touching the water, but she's moving very slowly away from you. Thomas will start walking towards, see whether he can overtake a closer look at this, this lady. Could use your eyes as well, Philippe, if you don't mind. Well, I think it's time to use our legs and start running. And I will try to run towards that lady. Agreed. 
Fantastic. You both start to run towards the lady. Uh, could you um, both give me a dexterity roll, please? That is a regular success for Thomas at 26 under 50. Oh, that's a failure for me. Charles, you begin to run and you begin to feel there's almost a weight, there's a slowness to your body. It's almost as if you are running through water, even though you are above the waterline. It feels like you are pushing, wading, using your arms to pull yourself through water. There's almost something here where you, you feel you don't quite have the same corporeal nature as Thomas as he runs and he, he runs ahead of you, almost as if he's in fast forward compared to you. Thomas, Philippe is almost in slow motion running behind you and you're torn between catching up to this woman and, and, and staying with Philippe, but you, you, you catch up to this woman and she stops as you get close. You don't need to move around her to see her. Thomas, she stops. She pivots back to you. And as she pulls the hands away from her face, she reaches out and puts her hands on your shoulders. And you see a face that you saw in your nightmares upon Kingscombe Beach. You see the face, the rotted, ridden face of someone who has spent many years under the water. And it is the face of your mother. Thank you for joining us for Cult and Culpability. Remember, you can find us at www.miskatonicplayhouse.com and you can also visit the main stage for other scenarios from the Miskatonic Playhouse with links in the show notes below. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our channel and support us on Coffee. That's ko-fi.com forward slash Miskatonic Playhouse where you can access exclusive shows and content for as little as one pound. But if you can spare a minute to leave a review, it makes a huge difference to other like-minded listeners who will be able to find and enjoy our work. Until next time, when the curtain rises again. <laughs>